Mr. Upton, great to finally yes, meet sir. you. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, are you like older, in, uh, like my elder enough to to me for me to refer to you as Mr. Upton, or do I have to refer to you? As <laughs> no, no, call me Brad, please. I am old enough, but don't call me that. Call me Brad. All right. It's good to know. Now we tried to uh, to, to to get uh, put put this on together uh, a couple of days ago, or like a, a, probably I think a week ago. Uh, uh, I'm I'm glad I could finally get you on here, and to so we can finally. And I apologize. That was all on me. You set up the time and everything, and I just screwed it up. I did a podcast the day before at 4 p.m. I knew I had one the next day, which was yours. And in my head, I was just thinking it was at 4 p.m. again. I don't know why I messed that up completely. All right, mind asking me what? Uh, mind if I ask what which podcast that was? can't even tell you uh it was a if live you, if thing if you can it's all right no i could dig through my emails i could figure it out wasn't as good as this one <laughs> i i doubt it uh probably like for the eight people for the eight people that are uh, probably going to watch this um uh well basically uh, i i I asked you to come on here because uh, I saw your, uh, I was able to see your special on dry bar and I thought it was uh pretty magnificent. Right. Uh, it was a, it was a pretty good set. You know, I think it was like around 40 minutes if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and I really enjoyed that set. Uh, right. I do notice, and I do notice because dry bar is kind of clean. Um, I was like, before we get uh, started with anything, is there like anything we like, we, we, we can't talk about like, uh, anything like any lines oh. we can't cross? Ah, there's nothing off the table. All right, so there's so nothing off the table. So where I want to start was, uh, do you consider yourself? Are, are you? Uh, I've all, I've, because uh, watching your work, I've only seen like that, uh, that, the that that set on a dry bar and some some other uh some other sets. Uh, would you can? Uh, are you? And I don't know this. Uh, I I don't want to go go ahead and call you a clean comic, but do you, uh, uh, I want to ask you, are you a clean comic? Yeah, I'm pretty clean. Um, uh, I have some dirty stuff I, uh, that I like to do. Um, but if you saw me on a late show in a club on a Saturday night, I'm still pretty clean. Um, but I do have some, you know, when I work on cruise ships, some nights they have a, they have a late night show, a late night adult show, so I can do whatever I want. And the thing about the dry bar is, a lot of people found me because of dry bar and follow me and now they want to come see me and they expect it now to be really clean. So I'm in a position where I guess they like me because I'm clean, but I do have some funny, dirty stuff. I'd kind of like to do that too. But so right now I'm working as clean as possible. Um, but I do have some dirty stuff. I'm not afraid to, I like to write it and, and perform it sometimes, but I don't know if the audience wants to hear it from me. Yeah, I, I, and I've had Dwayne Dwayne Perkins on here, who was also on Dry Bar uh, a couple episodes ago, and he, right. he also and we and we talk about you know there, you know there's a, a like me personally to to I think being a clean comic is way more difficult because uh, you limit yourself. But another another way in which that's difficult is that you kind of limit your audience to to what. Uh, 
to what they want to hear. Well, I don't think you limit the audience. In fact, I've told people no one's ever walked out of a comedy show because it was too clean. Um, people have walked out because it's too dirty. But some people, they don't necessarily even realize that it's clean, if it's hopefully, if it's good enough. Um, but clean comedy pays the bills quite well. I mean, I do a lot of corporate events, a lot of conventions, stuff like that. And they pay big money not to get offended. So uh, I'm happy to do that. But I do like to do a late show in a in a club on a Saturday night and and dirty it up a little bit. And a clean comic can always work dirty. A dirty comic can't work clean, but a, a clean comic can work dirty. And and when you say uh, clean, are you meaning like uh, like you do like your material like you uh, similar to what you do? Uh, as far and but you just like you know add more more cuss words or you know dirty uh get get a little exactly. messy with it or it's exactly or it, what it is or 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 the other like you you go on like like taboo subjects no it's mostly just the way you deliver the same material you can just you can just change your attitude be a little more aggressive and say fucking this fucking that and uh, I don't give a shit instead of I don't it's say i don't care then in dirty set you go i don't give a shit you know what i mean that's the difference it's just language well that's when um like i tried i tried uh uh getting i've just started doing uh getting on stage uh recently and like i i feel like the stuff i want to talk about is like not the uh not not exactly stuff people want to hear because i've been trying to sign up at this place that I've been to previously and I don't think they're 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 happy to have me back and it's because I I keep going on the uh on these uh dirty rants like even if I don't curse it's like uh what I talk about isn't like uh meant for everyone and I and I and, I, and I, in a sort of way I understand that so like one thing I want to ask you is like how like when you when you uh for for for, for first of all how long have you been doing comedy I uh, started 30, 30, 36 years ago is when I started, 1984. And, and like, was that, was it, were those uh, college days, high school days? What were, the, uh, what, what were those days? Uh, it was after college. I started kind of late. I was 28 years old. Um, I started kind of late. So I was teaching fourth grade at the time. I was an uh, elementary school teacher. Oh, so... So you already had uh, had a job by by the time you started. Was when, right. when you did comedy when you, when you started doing stand up. Was that like more of a, a side gig or was it more of a hobby? Yeah, absolutely. First two years I just did it uh, as a hobby, and then I'd only been doing stand up two years when I quit uh, quit teaching to do it full time. And like, and there wasn't much around where I was living either, because I was a, you know, 1984 comedy wasn't everywhere. I had to drive 150 miles to the closest open mic. And and can you walk us through that transition? Like, how do you go from being a teacher then to the minute you start doing stand-up and your evolution into into saying I want to do this for for a living, where you're like all in and you're ready to like quit being a teacher. Uh, that's a good question. I uh, 
I was working, I did a couple of competitions with professionals while I was still teaching. So I made some friends with the professionals and I got phone numbers of people that were booking stuff. So I had some contacts and these guys were working and I thought I'm as funny as these guys are. And, you know, teaching school, the thing about teaching school is when I quit, I always thought to myself, if this doesn't work out, I can go back. I can go back and do, I can go back to teaching if this doesn't work. So once I quit, I had enough phone numbers that I'm pretty sure I could get work. And uh, I just decided I was going to try and make it. And so I gave the school district, uh, I asked for a leave of absence. They wouldn't give it to me. So I just quit. I resigned at the end of the school year. So uh, you said you were teaching fourth grade your whole, your entire, your entire teaching career by then? Yeah, seven, seven years. All right. So, so with that, that, do you think teaching, like, like talking to, to, to elementary school kids, do you think that kind of uh, uh, more like affected your material from, from that point forward? Is that pretty much how you, how you became, how you started off so clean? Uh, well, I'll tell you, when I first started, I always thought, man, my mom's going to come see me one of these shows. I know my mom's going to come to a show one of these days. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be nasty in front of her because I knew she was going to, she wasn't going to approve. So I thought, you know, when I first started writing, I thought, is, is my mom going to give me shit about this? So that's kind of how I started it. All right. So, but, um, what is it I wanted to ask you? Oh yeah. So, so when you, when you got started, like, can you, can you like go back to, I don't know, like, it's okay if you can't remember, but like, can you go back to like how, how it was when you like first stepped on the stage? Was it like an open mic or were you like, like prepared to like do this? Like I'm about to go on stage or was it like out of nowhere? Like I'm at a show and like, uh, oh, man, let me go on stage and try, try this out. Oh, no, I've been wanting to try for a long time. I wanted to and I wanted to and I just was afraid to. I just didn't have the guts. And I had written a set, a five minute set. And I had memorized it word for word. And then I went to an open mic and I signed up. And right before it was my turn, I chickened out. I just chickened out. I told the MC, I don't want to go on. He goes, you're almost up. I go, nope. And I drove home and I waited another year. And I went back exactly a year later and with the, almost the same set, I think. And then uh, I wrote this set and I was pretty sure it was a good set. Um, and I went on stage and I killed. I killed the first time I got on stage. And as I walked off, I, you know, finally doing it after I'd been wanting to do it so long, I was so relieved. And the lady that was there came up and told me that I had passed the audition and I was in a Seattle comedy competition. And I said, I don't understand. What do you mean? She goes, you passed the audition. You're in the Seattle comedy competition. I go, isn't this open mic? Because I didn't know how things worked. I didn't know anything. I just signed up on Tuesday night. And what I didn't know is that I had signed up to audition for the Seattle comedy competition. And so I killed the first time I got on stage. So I went right into a professional competition the next time I got on stage. And then I was in with professionals and I suck. You know what I mean? I just look terrible compared to them. So I finished 18th out of 20, but uh, I was in that competition right away. And it gave me some credibility in town anyway. Yeah, stick it to those two guys that, fi that finished behind you. Yeah. <laughs> I well, wish I knew who they were. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, but like uh, that, that, that one, 
what I want to say. So, like, after you killed your first set, like, so what, like, like, how, how, how was your, how was, like, your career looking, like, directly after yourself? Like, were you bombing, bomb, uh, like, after, after, after that? No, well, it sounds terrible to say I didn't bomb much, but, because I did, but that first set, I looking back at the jokes and the material, it was, it was pretty well written. It was good. They were good jokes and they were written well. And, you know, when I got into the second, the second time I went on stage with the exact same set, then I was in a professional competition and it didn't look as good compared to the others. So I didn't do very well that first week. I never bomb bombed, but, uh, that first week, but, uh, I didn't do very well. I mean, it was just, yeah, I got some laughs, but it, you know, I, maybe I'm kidding myself. Maybe I bombed. I don't think I did, but, um, from then on, because I'd been in that competition, I got to do a lot of guest sets around town during professional shows because I kind of got to skip some of the open mic part and I didn't live near an open mic. So because so I like, couldn't how, go how, hang out the whole time. So that experience, like you basically been thrown into thrown into the fire being uh, like you hit like you seriously hit the ground running. How, how do you feel that experience that experience did you more good? Than, than, than harm? Uh, yeah, I think so because I got to, I didn't have to go do too many open mics in front of awful audiences. I got to perform in front of a little better audiences. And looking back, I didn't know it at the time. I think I was pretty good for a brand new person. You know, if you've been around open mics, sometimes somebody comes along, they're just better right away. Um, doesn't mean they're going to be good or they're going to be great or they're going to turn into a big star or anything like that, but they're, they're, they're a little better right away. They just have a knack for it. And, you know, stand-up's a skill or an art like anything else. And the people that are good at it are usually pretty good at it right away. I think, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense because I, I've, I can count on one hand. I've only been doing, I've been hitting the stage for a month, you know, trying to like get my feet wet. And like the first time, my first set wasn't, I didn't bomb completely, but I didn't kill either. But that, that's that the first time I ever got on was like the first time I've ever, uh, that, that, that was the best out of the other two, which I completely bombed, like complete, like horrible uh, feeling of just wanting to, you know, go just, uh, I just wanted to crash my car so people could feel bad for me instead of mad at me, to be honest. Right. But, you know, like what? What I wanted to ask you, like, uh, on the on the come up, like after, like as you're starting, like in your first year or your first two years, while 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 you're still new in the game, well, like what was your, what was like your biggest uh, your biggest challenge uh, uh, when 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 going on stage? You mean when I first first two years of doing comedy, or first two years when I was doing it full time? Um. Uh, Let's go your first two years of doing comedy, like while you're still figuring out how to do it, how to uh, figure and figure everything out. Uh, the hardest part, the biggest challenge was trying to find a stage because I lived 150 miles from Spokane and 200 miles from Seattle. And that was where the that's where the. were, But in the meantime, in the town where I was at, I would go been in the Seattle comedy competition. Can I do a guest set? 
And then I did a lot of local material, which killed because it's local material. So that helped me right then. But when I first started, it was just, you know, I just didn't get on stage very much because I didn't have access to it. So that was the hardest part. When, uh, and I, I wanted to ask, uh, ask with that because uh, what I find my biggest problem is that um, I, well, my, right now I'm having, I don't have a hard time like finding a stage. I can find, I can find, I, I know a couple of places that, do open mics the problem is you know uh uh i find the time for it because i'm i have a busy schedule but other than that I, i'd say my my biggest challenge is uh when i go on stage is having like uh a presence in that i mean you know trying to like feel normal like while i'm on stage like feeling like i could talk like i usually talk because one thing one one thing uh I say about myself is that everything is about, about me is funny, except for the, my, except for my jokes. And the reason I feel that way is because every time I go on stage and like, you know, that as soon as I see that light on me, every, every funny thought I, I've, I've had just goes completely blank. And I completely forget what, like everything I write down, everything, I, everything I had planned, everything I thought could be funny on my, cause on a normal basis, like, like while I'm like on the car ride to, to, to the place or on the, or while I'm at home listening to music, like the funny thoughts just keep circulating and circling, circling. But as soon as I stand on, on stage, it's like completely shut down. Like it, there's no pipeline. All I can think about is the light burning, like the light burning on my face, the microphone in my, in front of me. And that's, that's the only thing right. in my mind. And the worst part is as soon as I get off the of stage, then that cycle of fun, like funny thoughts, the uh, funny references, goes back. It turns back on, and I was like, "Oh my god!" All that stuff I could have said while I was on stage, and and like it just shut down. So I say, I say that would would be my biggest chance. So what advice would you give to me to like uh, to basically feel normal while on while while on stage to like feel like it's just like every other place. Uh, that's a good question, and it's very common. Um, you said something earlier about doing better your first time on stage than your second or third time on stage. That's really common for a lot of comedians. So I think you're on the right path. It's just a matter of getting up there and getting comfortable. It's hard to get comfortable on stage um, and to look completely relaxed. That's really hard. The best thing to do is keep getting up there. You know, of course, I'm, you already know this. You just got to do those jokes over and over and over in your head to make sure they come out of your mouth. Even now when I'm doing new stuff, I get a little nervous because it's something new coming out of my mouth for the first time. Um, I think you're on the right path. You just got to keep getting up there and get more comfortable. And like one thing, I forgot what it's going on. And like, one th like the first two sets, uh, I basically, oh, here it is. I wrote my, my jokes down on the book and I, wrote a set, you know, like an entire set to see if I could fill five minutes of it. And, you know, it's like a, like a full list down, but like, I was like, you know, then I was realizing, man, I can't, I can't memorize all of this. And like, it's not, and it's not coming natural every time I speak it. So the last time, which was, uh, actually I was on stage Monday. Oh no, wait, Sunday night. I was on stage Sunday night. And one new, one thing I tried doing was, you know, don't 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 bring your notebook like just uh just go up there and like i try to do what you what you said uh, try to get comfortable 
And I was like, you know, what, what can I do up here? while what, what can I do on stage? Like, don't grab the mic. Don't do nothing. Just, just like, what can I do on stage to, to like feel natural? Because it's an open mic night. It's not like people are going to forget it. Nobody's going to, I'm not getting paid. Nobody's getting paid. It's like, uh, it's great practice just to throw it, to throw away this, throw uh, just get it over with, throw away this memory and just, maybe, maybe you get better next time. Right. But, you know, uh, yeah, don't take the don't take the notebook on stage. I'm against taking notes on stage. I'm really I never did it. I don't think you should because then you just get comfortable looking at those notes and you know that you don't have to memorize it because it's your crutch laying there next to you. You know, I'm sure you, you probably write your when you write a set list out, you just write a set of words that mean something to you. No, you I draw. I, I don't write the whole thing. I wrote like half the thing. Uh, let's. Like, for example, uh, I have a whole bit about, you know, uh, uh, hold on. Let's say, let's say, uh, I have this whole like three minutes about like, uh, and an analogy about like time is like a woman's car. Uh, only, only thing I like the whole thing is three minutes, but I don't write the whole thing down. What I write is like uh, a woman's time is like a car. That's, that's the only thing. And like, hopefully the rest can come naturally to me, but like going back to what I was saying right. about, you know, this, this, the thing shutting down is like, uh, a, a time is like a woman's car and everything shut. That's all I remember. But when I get off stage, I, I read that again. And it's like the whole set comes like rushing back, back to me. Yeah, I think the best thing for the best way to you just call that in your head car or woman's car. That's what you write down on your list. Woman's car. That's all. That's the only cue you give yourself. And then you have to memorize the rest of it and then make that list of words like like my I can get a pull out a set list and show you just the words. They're just one word. They'll say Alaska, geese, skiing, um, Pennsylvania and it's just those words and that's how I memorize those words before I walk on stage and if it's only 10 words which is you know 10 bits but it, you can memorize those 10 words but you do have to remember what each word means when you see the in your head I gotta just call them one word or two words yeah. And like, and what I tried to do the last time, like I said, I tried uh, to like, you know, think of like, think of the first thing, funny thing that you co that comes to my head. And I was like, and I remember like Sunday night, I was wearing this headband and I was wearing this shirt right here that you see right here. And like, and I was like, my first, like my first joke is like, I know what y'all thinking. I look like I just had a gay affair with Jimi Hendrix. And then like, now I was like, you probably recognize me. I would, I, I had a part-time job as a mic stand for Aerosmith. And I was like, and like after that, you know, but what, what really messed me up is that uh, I realized one stutter, like, and the whole joke just crashed. Like, no, that's right. If you stumble over something the work, the joke doesn't work as well. It, it, even when you're, a really polished act. If you stumble over one word, just a little bit, the joke doesn't work as well. Pisses me off when I do it too. Yeah, and like- Where's and home like, for you? Where, where are you going up? What city are you living in? 
Uh, right now I'm in college here in Brendan, uh, small town. Uh, go to Blin- I go to Blinn College, but I grew up in Houston, which uh, is only an hour away. I drove, I drive down the hour, uh, an hour just to, to, you know, to, to go to that Sunday show. In, in Houston? Yeah. The Houston, uh, the Houston comedy scene is uh, rather small. Yeah. It's not, it's not as big as, you know, LA and New York. Now, Houston used to be big and it turned out a bunch of great comics. I've worked Houston before a long time ago. I worked a club there several, t- I've worked there several times. It's been a while. It's been a long time. Yeah. I think most of the, most of the, like, uh, the famous clubs uh, uh, closed down because, you know, back in the scene yeah, where it was all uh, gone now. Yeah, uh, the I tried looking for the um, the laugh stop where uh, Bill Hicks performed uh, in Austin for his uh, 1989 special, and I was like, uh, like that that closed down. Now they have a uh, a new place called the Laugh Stop, but it's more like for more more of a driving school. And I was like, really, like that's the yeah. that, that's what this this has become. I had to follow Bill Hicks one night. Really? In LA. Oh man, can you, can you please tell the story? Huh? Can you please What's tell that? the story? Please tell the story. Yeah, at Igby's, uh, this it was a showcase club in Los Angeles back in the late eighties, early nineties. And uh, you know, it's LA, so the the roster, the list you're going up is really good comics. And one night I got there, I was like, oh shit, I gotta go up after Hicks. So uh he went up and he killed for like eight minutes and uh really dark stuff that he talks about and then i you know i was still doing all my stuff about teaching fourth grade all this happy nice clean shit about teaching fourth graders so i went up right after i go ladies and gentlemen big round of applause for bill hicks i said i have a brighter outlook on life than bill does which got a big laugh because it was really dark and i and and then my set went fine but i had to acknowledge to the audience what they had just been through. You know what I mean? I can't just go up there and ignore Bill Hicks just doing this dark material. I had to acknowledge it. So I said, I made a joke about the fact that I have a brighter outlook on life than Bill does. And that got a big laugh. And then I was okay. Yeah, that was like, like Bill Hicks is my, uh, in my top three. In my top three, I got Bill Burr, Bill Hicks and uh, Patrice O'Neill. And like what I love about That's the lineup. The- and what I like about those two is like they put their um, they put their authentic authenticity uh, like in front in front of their work, meaning they 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 don't they don't sell out they don't you know clean no, up they don't like, give a shit on. they don't give they don't give a shit at all like they put their uh, like my like my my uh, my dignity and the ability to be funny as I want to be is more than how much however much you're gonna pay me to 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 only say the I, stuff you like to hear. Yeah, I. It's hard to, when you're starting out, though, because I don't know guys like that. I'm impressed that they managed to survive because when you first start in, in you know, those guys can all piss off some people in the audience, and uh, a club owner doesn't want you pissing off his customers. So it's a develop an audience like those guys did more power to them. I admire them. I love guys that don't give a shit when Bill Burr's going off on the audience. It makes me laugh hard. I don't do it, but I love when I see guys doing it. Yeah. And like, 
One thing I noticed, like when I was at that open mic Sunday, I noticed there was this uh, other kid who was probably about like 14 years old. And when it was just like, you could tell he, he had no idea what he was doing. And like, I, I, I'm not going to like, I was no better, but you could tell like he had uh, no clue what he like, what he was doing up there. And like, just, and I think that's where, where it becomes hard to like, for guys to like start, start doing stand up and come up is that, you know, people don't want to hear you know, they don't want to like they don't want to see a guy's uh, a struggle to go like they like when people go up, they expect to like see s- some dude that's already paused. That's probably why I haven't been invited back to to, to this one spot that, that I used to go to. Yeah, that kid's probably too young. That's just probably there's not many who can who can start at fourteen and be very successful. Um, and the kid like that, he's going to go up and he's going to have a few bad experiences. And he's never going to do it again. And the reality of it is he probably should have waited till he was 20, but, and then he'd have a little more confidence, something else to talk about. And you're right. If the audience, the audience doesn't want to see somebody that's not very good. It makes, makes the audience uncomfortable when the audience is uncomfortable, then it's an ugly cycle. I've been, uh, and like one thing, I, uh, that that really grinds my gears when I go on stage is the I'm only I'm only 19 years old, but I do a lot of uh, the old references that people who are still older than me in the audience are still too young to get because, like I said, I went back to that uh, I went back to that you know Aerosmith I got a, I had a part time job at, job as Aerosmith Aerosmith's mic stand see I, I messed up that joke again right and I was like I was like. That that could have gotten a bigger laugh, but oh my god, I could tell nobody nobody knows knows who those guys are. Right, 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 right. Now nah, that's all right. Keep doing the joke, or find another joke using that scarf that works for whatever audience you know, whatever age the audience is. Oh, it's a headband, but uh, thank you for that. And uh, and one thing that like I, I feel like. Comedy, I feel like comedy is getting to, to uh, people want to, uh, don't want to be uh, like going back to, to you being a clean comic, people just don't want to be offended. They don't want to. Uh, and like one thing I remember that Patrice O'Neill once said that, that I'll never forget is that like comedy, like the, the way comedy should be is like, like 50% of people should be laughing and the other 50% should be horrified. And like, I think that's what I, what I try to remember. <laughs> that's what I try to remember when I go on stage is like, uh, what can I say that that could be like so bizarre that people don't t- take serious, but can also be so, uh, Oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. No, that's a, that's being honest. And, uh, but that's the trouble now. Audiences are, they are, it, there's, you know, it's, they're afraid of being offended. And instead of, hearing a joke and going that's pretty honest it i don't like it but you know the guy's got a point people have lost that part of them but they and understanding it's a freaking joke you know what i mean it's it's comedy don't get your ass so tight you should you know i read stuff on i don't read it very much but i sometimes read the comments underneath my dry bar stuff and i don't read them all i don't read very much of them but god the shit people pick out to be offended about is unbelievable i got people that are offended by my set certain things about my set or decide that this is what they want to complain about i'm like go fuck yourself loosen up well, well as a comedian what would you prefer that to be like 
hated hated by people but uh respected uh by other comedians or to be loved by people and be hate uh and re- loved and respected by by the audience and hated by other comedians uh that's a good question uh that's a really good question i don't even want to answer that <laughs> um somebody, somebody paid well if the audience likes you but yeah you want the respect of your peers come on man you want your peers to respect you absolutely and like that's and those are like the people we appreciate. Like Bill Hicks was one of the one one of those people. Uh, I think today be someone like Norm Macdonald. Patrice O'Neill was some of those people. And that's that's the reason why I put uh, put put those those guys in my in my uh, in my top in my, in my top three. You know when like Bill Burr went to had to go uh, made it uh, shot a special Paper Tiger, which which was which was amazing. He when. I was like, how big is the arena that, like, I wish I could see how big that arena was to see how many people truly, truly love them. Because, like, when you see his here, his, uh, like his stuff here, you see you uh, his uh, his set on Saturday Night Live. It was like, like how, the audience like seems so fifty fifty when it comes to Bill Burr. That, but then you see him performing on some some other place in the world, and it just filled an arena. Yeah, because that's people are coming because they love him. So that's who buys the tickets. People that hate him aren't going to buy any tickets. And you know, when he's when he's performing on Saturday Night Live, that's ne- not necessarily the people in the audience aren't necessarily Bill Burr fans. They're just people that want to see Saturday Night Live being taped live. So they come and then they're like, oh boy, I don't know about this guy. But when Bill Burr goes out and works in an arena, those people love Bill Burr and they're buying Bill Burr tickets because of him. And that's a whole nother thing too about working a great big arena as opposed to working a 200 seat club. When, um, can you, can you point out uh, what was the edgiest you've ever gotten or how, what was the, the, what was one joke you, that you got the crowd so, like I said, like horrified, half, half horrified, half, half laughing. I don't know. I don't haven't had that many of them. I, I know one joke I tried for a long time. Uh, I said, there's a new restaurant opening where all the waitresses are survivors of breast cancer. It's called Hooter. Which I thought was hysterical. I thought it was funny, but fuck people got hated that joke because they <laughs> thought I was like, and, and I thought it was, I still think it's a funny joke, but man, people think I'm making fun of women with breast cancer. And I'm like, it's just a joke. Loosen up. I tried it for a while. People wouldn't buy it. Plus they're expecting me to be nice. When you, it's like, when, when you, when you say something like that, do you like at the back of your mind, you say, I wish I was bigger. So people who, who only, only people who love me buy tickets to my show. Or was it like, yes, 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 yes. Yes, I wish that's exactly what I'm thinking because I know some people are going to be pissed. One take I one take I have, and I'm 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 working on a set about uh, on, on a bit about this is uh, you you we we see uh, these competition shows like you know America's Got Talent and uh, and you see um, uh, it's it's about like you know music and every, all, all other towns, but let, let, let's stick into comedy is like. 
the uh, we, we you know it's you know you're on TV. Yeah, you do a, a stand-up set. You know, uh, there's this dude um, who was on America's Got Talent who did stand-up. Uh, what was his name? Uh, preacher, preacher, some Lawson. Preacher Lawson, exactly. Um, and here's here's one thing. Uh, when I like. It's good, you know. You're on TV. You had to say he was mag- he, like I like Preacher Lawson. I think he's I think he was funny when he was on there. But here's like here's uh, some there's like to everything there's pros and cons. And one con was when he was doing a set. I think it was down here in Houston. A lady in the audience uh, was talking to him, like he, like she was like she was his friend because like he's in the middle of his set right. and he he's in the middle of his set and he said and. And the lady just goes, I just want to say that I think it's great and it's, it's truly inspiring that uh, from where you've gone to where you are now. And I was like, and then, then he started roasting her. But one th- that, the one thing that wrote that that um, came across my mind is like being on, being on cable TV really probably like it didn't ruin his career, but it kind of nicked it in a way where there's this perception about him that he's just this uh, TV friendly guy that, that just talks to, to like talks to anyone, just like any other guy, people we see on TV. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's the thing. And then there's some dumbass people in the audience that just think they can start talking to you in the middle of the show. It's like, come on, lady, everybody can't start talking to me in the middle of the show. That was a huge boost to his career here. I'll show you. Can you see this on? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, he, he came over to my house four years ago for Thanksgiving. I had him over to my house for Thanksgiving. I know Preacher pretty well. He's a good guy. Um, that's That was a huge boost being on that show. I mean, it got him thousands of followers and people coming out to buy tickets to see Preacher Lawson and stuff. But yeah, then they got these, you got fans that'll come out and all of a sudden they, well, they think they know you because they've seen you on TV. So they think they're, they, they think you're friends. But uh, and going back to, to 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 the subject of clean comedy, do you feel like? And I talked about this with Dwayne Perkins. Uh, do you feel like? How do you feel about the handcuffs that puts on you? Like, and I asked Dwayne Perkins at the end of the last podcast, like, if you were to reinvent yourself, uh, if you were to have like a a, a renaissance in, in, in comedy, like, what would it look like? And I was like, and I asked him, like, if you want to get dirty, uh, 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 become more filthy. Or you want to uh, talk about subjects that that will look completely different to what you're do- currently doing? Like, what would that look like? Or would you just like stay, stay where you are and, and and keep at it? And what did he say? Like, he said, like, I believe he said, I I, I got to go back and say it, but I, I was like, he's like. If it's something I want to do, if it's something that comes naturally, that that that, that I'll do it. But basically, that like yeah, I think I, I think I'd stay in my same lane, probably work the same way I have. I mean, I've before Drybar showed up, I I was successful in the business. I mean, I was working all the time. I've always been working all the time and making good money. Just never nobody knows who I was, but I was making good money doing it by working clean. You know those. Like I said, corporations and, and conventions, those kind of things, they want a comedian after dinner and uh, they pay a lot of money for it. And I was doing a lot of that. That's a good niche to have. And then, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with working on cruise ships either. They take you all over the world. They pay well. So, 
Yeah, I don't mind the path I've taken. It isn't, I'm not working arenas, but I don't mind the path I'm taking. Like, to be, I, I feel like to be a clean comic, that just takes a, 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 a different type of talent because, you know, you're rest- uh, not just like the to cursing, but you, you're restricted. Like you know, some comedians, you know, like the world is 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 yours, is in your hand. You could just do whatever. But when it comes to like to to keeping things clean, things clean, you're like down the straight straight path. There, there's things you can't talk about. There's lines you can't cross, and like that's why that's why I asked you. Like uh, that's why I consider like the hang like the handcuffs the the. The, that 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 go on you when you, when you, when you decide to be a clean comic, if because if uh, Jerry Seinfeld decides to be filthy, that then his whole fan base might uh, could, could probably die because he's probably or a shift because he's been do, be doing it that way for right. for for several years. I don't I don't think it handcuffs you. I don't think it restricts anything because you know there's a, there's no limit to the amount of subjects you can talk to talk about. Um, so I don't think, I don't think it restricts you at all. In fact, like I said, if I can work dirty, I can follow a dirty comic. Uh, I can do that real. I can do that very easily. I can, I can change my act a little bit, follow a dirty act by being a little harsher, a little edgier. Um, but when you're a dirty comic, there's a lot of stuff you can't do. I mean, as far as getting hired and getting work in certain places they're just people aren't going to hire you for all kinds of stuff once you get famous then you do whatever you want that's the beauty once you get big and famous you can do whatever you want uh, i forgot what i was going to ask you uh shoot i had a brain fart because i was i was really listening to what you what you had to say but now like i can't remember what i what i was about to ask you ah uh, uh, we're gonna have to sit through this dead air. Oh, that's all right. No worries. Ah, uh, how long you? St- when did you start? You said you've just been doing it, not very long, right? Yeah, I started like I started a month ago, but I started this podcast. Uh, I think nine months ago. Oh yeah. I, re- I I I just remember what I wanted to ask you, but like let's start it. Okay. Like, when it comes to like, uh, I I wanted to do. Uh, I started this podcast like at the beginning of the pandemic. Because I wanted to, uh, that was like, you know, I was 18 years old. You no, know, I'm about to, I want to start doing comedy. And like, then everything shut down. I couldn't do it. And I was like, uh, man, what can I do? Well, well I don't know how to, how to, how to get this thing started. So I was like, uh, let me do a podcast. And so far I've, you know, I originally started to like, you know, have, you know, to, to be funny, you know, crack a joke or two. Uh, whenever I, I, I talk with people, I know it started out, you know, I had my friends on. A couple teammates, you know, so some of the best athletes I know. And then, like, I finally got, uh, was able to get Dwayne Perkins, Dwayne, Dwayne Perkins on here for for a couple of episodes. Then I had, you know, last episode with uh, David Pendel, uh, a free agent. And so far, it's, so far, it's been I've been doing good. What kind of what kind of sports are you talking about when you said teammates? What do you play? Oh uh, well, I play football and uh, all through high school. I've been trying. I'm trying to play football again. Uh, and like, and I I know I got you know a bunch of people I went to school with going going to college. Uh, our, we have I interviewed like half of the uh, uh, our track team one state. Uh, 2019, I think 2018, 2019. Right. 
And so I, I had a couple of those guys come on here and I was like, you know, let, let, let me interview the, uh, the, the Texas state track, track team state championships. And, you know, and you know that, and I also some teammates uh, I play football with and that that's basically how I got started. Uh, it was all, you know, just, you know, uh, on a budget, you know, right. I'm still on a budget. like probably a $200 to, uh, worth of equipment well, you're doing Not it in even, your closet right no i'm doing this is my closet just has no door it's uh i'm, I'm in just, my room i'm, I'm, I'm just in my room you shit. <laughs> <laughs> sorry and uh going back to the i finally i found the question I, I originally forgot uh do you feel uh comedy is therapeutic to you ah uh, yeah i'll tell you what but i you know i I was working when I, at the beginning of 2020, I was looking at my calendar and I'm like, man, 2020 is going to be my best year ever. And then bang, March, all the dates were gone. Everything was gone since last March. I've only been on stage four times. And, uh, I realized what I miss is feeling my brain working a hundred miles an hour. Cause there's nothing like a live performance to make those synapses fire. You know what I mean? That's what I miss is the live performance of, being on stage and and when I've gotten off the handful of times that I've worked, I go, man, I miss that part of it. I miss feeling my brain work that fast because when you're on stage performing live, doing stand-up, you're constantly making decisions. You're taking the feedback from the audience. Do I make the longer version of this bit or the shorter version? Do I make this joke nicer or harsher? And you're making those decisions constantly. And it feels good to have your brain working that fast. I didn't know that till I didn't do any shows for months but uh that's that's what i miss so yeah it is therapeutic and what about the uh, emotional outlet you get uh you you get like is it like stuff you get to like finally blurt out that you've been like keeping congested yeah absolutely having some what... kind of frustration or something funny that you want to share with people people keep saying during this pandemic oh you're gonna have so much new material i go Comedians are having trouble writing new material right now because you don't have any place to get on stage and try it out. So, uh, you know, it's hard to paint without a canvas. So you, you might be writing some stuff down, but if you don't get to work it out anywhere, it's hard to create any new stuff. And like um, when, it, when it comes to my joke writing, it's like a uh, take, for example, like because I, I don't get on stage a lot. Take it like, like let's say it's like a five lane highway. And like a truck just like swerves and crashes on the side and like right. all the cars pile on. That's and like and they, they refuse to stop because they feel like they have to keep going. That's how I feel with my joke writing is like like as soon as that first joke crashes because I haven't gotten on stage yet, is like and like uh like let me let me work uh soon as I get this uh truck back moving again, uh let me work on, on the ones back there, but like it keeps coming and coming and coming and like i write right. more jokes it's just more cars cars and cars just crashing piling on in the back and that's like oh my god i gotta get this truck moving and get get and get this out the way and like that's that's what i feel like because i have one of those brains that just like works uh, like uh, at 100 miles an hour but yeah. also also the uh the emotional outlet it do is like the reason the stuff I talk about is so dirty is because like inside I, I have so much anxiety and, and, and the like angst like right. built up that I was like, you know, like 
like the horrible stuff I see in my head, I'm pretty sure people can can figure it out. I'm pretty sure people can, everyone goes through this stuff. And like, when I figure out like people don't go through this stuff, it's like, like, oh my God, am I, like pe- people really hate me for, for, for talking about this stuff. Yeah, those jokes, you know, I find writing those jokes that I go in streaks, it seems like, like I'll write a whole bunch of stuff and then I don't write anything. And then I write a bunch of stuff and I don't write anything. So it's kind of streaky for me. But when I started, I told you way back, I wanted to get on stage for a long time. I just didn't have any guts. So I was writing for like six years. So when I first started, I had a lot of material to work through at first. I had written it all down. I just hadn't tried it in front of an audience. And you know, when you try a joke and it doesn't hit, you got to try it two or three times before you realize, nah, it's no good, throw it out. But the first time you do it and it doesn't work. And if you think, I know that's a good joke, try it, try it again a few times before you decide. I get fooled all the time on jokes that I think are funny and I'll try them and I go, I guess they're only funny to me. And certain jokes I think, ah, it's not that funny, but the audience loves it. And I think, hmm, well, must be a good joke. Yeah. And like, like whenever I, I like the same thing happens in podcasting once, uh, like when we're talking and I like a question popped in my head and then like, and while I'm listening to you, I like, let me ask this question next. But then like, like, again, there's that, that car crash piling on uh, like three more right. questions. Like now I forget what question I want to ask. Cause they're all, it's just one, one train wreck in my head. Uh, the, the, and when going back to what I said about like the, uh, the, uh, the dirtiest, like my favorite thing, uh, joke. It's not more, not a joke, more of a segue. It was like you know, I had this whole bit about you know, uh, they might try to cancel ACDC because of a song they wrote back in 1980, considering they just dropped an album a month ago. Um, the whole bit was you know, uh, just talking about, and the whole bit was about the song uh, "Let Me Put My Love Into You," and I was like, you know, talking about how how much there was a rapey song. Then like two minutes later, like after talking about some other stuff, I was like. Uh, speaking about rapey songs, I am single again, and like that, and and I I was satisfied with the reaction I got, like the the half horrified, half 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 laughing, and like that was like that so far has been my my, my favorite joke. So, right, which segue. And, yeah, uh, keep using it, keep working on it. It's funny too. I saw somebody tweeted. Uh, speaking of rapey songs, what was that? What's that Christmas song? Um, Baby, it's cold outside, right? Remember, they tried oh, yeah. getting that thing taken off the radio, this 50-year-old Christmas song. And they go, wait, at the same time, the biggest hit right now is wet-ass pussy. So <laughs> how are you going to get rid of this old? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're trying to get rid of this song from 50 years ago, and the biggest hit on the radio is wet-ass pussy. <laughs> and, like, when, when it comes to that, it's like, you know, Again, like the, it's uh, it's just put it, putting it together for like five minutes, like, because once once I hit the stage, it's no longer just me like doing comedy. It's just uh trying to survive, and like that's the worst worst position like I I, I could be on. Well, the hardest part, the thing I tell, just remember how you get out of that last bit, and how you transition. What's the transition? If you can remember those transitions, that that settle flow faster and flow better. That's the thing you kind of have to go say out loud to yourself is what's, how's this joke end and how's the next one start? 
because you can get to the end of a bit and you go, shit, what's next? What's next? What's next? Your brain's firing. What's next? What's next? What's next? I can't remember what's next. And then you just jump into whatever comes up and then you go, fuck, I'm off. I lost track. I lost track. Yeah. And one, another thing, um, another thing Patrice O'Neill said, once said is that, uh, when, when, when you're bombing, uh, the worst thing you could do is like, uh, try to save you, try, try to not bomb. Try to save yourself because the power people you give the power you give people, people are evil. They they want to see you see you fail. They want to see you uh, because they they feel this dude is this kid on stage is 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 uh, is dying up there, and like and because and I have the power, and I have this power over him. So the 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 the, the thing you should do is like the ship uh, like bring down the whole ship with you, like every like bring take everything down. So what I try to do when I was like, when I was bombing is uh, try to tell uh, horrible jokes on, on purpose to see like, like some type of, you know, Norm McDonald type uh, of fun yeah. like, horse shit that, that just came up, comes up to You're my head. Braver than I am. Cause I don't like that feeling of bringing them down with me. The thing I find is if the audience knows that you're uncomfortable, if they sense that you're uncomfortable, that's a hard thing to get out of. And you just have to act like, just act like I'm killing this. You don't even know you're bombing. And if the audience relaxes, like, you know what, he's bombing, but he doesn't seem to be bothered by this. Then they relax and start to laugh a little bit. It might take a while. That's a hard thing to learn when the audience, when you come out to the audience and they're not very good, is to be patient. It's hard to do when you're starting out to be patient. But if it's bombing, you just keep acting like you're killing it and relax. The audience will come around. If the material is good, if the jokes are good, they'll start listening to you. They'll start laughing. Another another thing I attempted was uh, uh, try to decipher. And this is another challenge I have, uh, deciphering the line between, you know, uh, laughing with the audience and laughing at them, like joking and yeah, bullying. Yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, so, like, I know it's like I'm bombing. I was like, like. Oh man, I could I could feel the power in this in this room. Like, who's a manager? Who's in management? Who who manages people? Who's a boss in their place? Like, look at them. And then then I start like roasting them. Like like then I start roasting them and like and like I, I'm I'm talking to the whole audience. Like, you see him? He wants to fire me because this is the point where he says you're fired and he can't. And it's hilarious. And like right, that's another thing. Like and that there's a line between you know, uh, roasting uh, someone and bullying. Uh, absolutely. Because the audience doesn't want to see a bully somebody, but a, a roast and a good, a good roaster. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And, uh, and like that, that awkward situation I had, like, like I said, I started, I started my last set by, by, by roasting myself, you know, the, the gay affair with Jimi Hendrix bit and like the, here's, oh, man, here's one, here's another one that, I think it, I think it could work if I if I nail pr properly. It, it's uh, I start by telling a story. Uh, uh, you know, one night during uh after a Beatles concert, all the groupies had to go uh, go home early, and well, and only one groupie who had her own car uh uh, uh stay stay behind for the after party. Uh, that all the Beatles ran a train on this girl, and she she became pregnant by all of them at the same time. 
that woman happens to be my mother. <laughs> and I was like, and like that, that's, uh, I, if I could just, I feel like you ever have those like jokes that, 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 you know, you feel like it's so bizarre. It's so out there. It's so, it, it feels perfect and you just like, and you just have to make it work. Like just have to have to nail, hit it right on the head. Yeah. But I, like I said, I can get, I can get fooled. Like I'm like, I know this joke's good. And then the audience will tell you if it's good or not. I still get fooled. I get fooled. I'm like, I know this joke's, but I got a couple in my act that I've kept there for years just because I think they're better than they are. <laughs> and the audience never gives me what I think they deserve, but I'm stubborn enough to leave it in my act. Do you uh, uh, recycle material a lot? What do you mean? Like, do you use uh, a, uh, one joke uh, from, like, let's say, you know, go back into, like, the archive or something and, and, and use a joke over and over because, you know, it's, it, always gets a, it always gets a laugh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, I got stuff in my act that's fucking years old that I do it over every night because if the audience hasn't seen it before, it's new to them. You know what I mean? It's new to them. They haven't heard it. So why throw it out if it's getting a laugh? Sometimes I've looked at some old video of myself, old, and I'm like, why don't I use that joke anymore? That's a good joke. Yeah, I'll bring stuff back or I'll just take a chunk of stuff and just quit doing it because I'm tired of doing it. And then a few years later, I can bring it back. And uh, I'm like, oh, I kind of like doing this stuff again because I'm not tired of it anymore. So yeah, I can get, recycle stuff. Yeah, like you ever get, I'll say like, do you ever get mad when your record player starts stops working? <laughs> exactly. Certain ones just don't work anymore. Yeah. Do you, uh, are you trying to avoid being the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the old guy doing dad jokes at the uh, on stage. Yeah, I don't. Th I do some of that stuff, but if you saw my, well, you saw the forty-minute act. I, I got about. If you see me do an hour, I got about. I got about twelve minutes of being married and family stuff. The rest of the stuff has nothing to do with how old I am or anything like that, or the dad jokes. But yeah, I don't want to. I, I appeal actually to a wide range of ages so i like the fact that there are some young people that think i'm funny i really appreciate that and like uh final thing i want to talk about is uh when you quit being a teacher to, to pursue comedy were you already uh, have you already started a family by then or was this before uh no uh i quit in 86 i was with my girlfriend at the time now my wife we've been together almost 40 years but um that was in 86 we got married in 87 we didn't have our first kid till 94 so we were together i was doing stand-up for seven years before before we started our family we started late so, i started late so you were like uh do you felt like you were uh, uh like you know uh had this had the had a good foundation to 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 you know to 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 balance, you know, your family and, and your career at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I lucked out. I got lucky. So, yes, I did. I had a foundation and I was making money. And, and so I was able to start a family at that time. And what was what's the hardest part between because because stand up comedy is something you have to have to be on the road for. It's like uh, it's some like it's one of those tra traveling traveling gigs. Do you have to what was the hardest part? 
uh, between juggling uh, raising a family and and doing comedy? Well, I've I've told people I had more, and my kids even agree with me. I had more FaceTime with my kids than most dads because there's there's dads that work at work full time and live at home, right? But they they leave the house before their kid ever gets out of bed. And they don't get home till 6.30. And then they see their kids from 6.30 to 8.30 every night. So they only see their kids two hours a night, right? Really. And then they only on the weekend. So when I was home, I was home full time. I mean, I got up with them in the morning. I got them breakfast. I walked them to the school bus. When they got off the school bus at 2.30, there I am. I walk them home. I play with them till my wife got home from work. And then I would go out and do sets in the evening. So I had more FaceTime with my kids, even though sometimes I'd be gone for five days. I may go to the airport and leave for five days, but I had more time with my kids face to face than I think a lot of dads do that don't travel. So my wife and I managed to make it work. We always did. I don't know how. Again, I got lucky. I'm happy. Any any advice you would give to to, to young up up and coming guys? Or any like any at any level that are like been in it for long and still struggling, or 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 been in it for, or or still trying to find success in the game. Just keep doing, getting on stage. You know, you said earlier about how you bombed earlier, and you like I wanted to wreck my car on the way home. I had I've had a couple of quiet drives home where I sat there and after I bombed like that or not had a very good set, I think to myself. How could I have fixed, what do I need to do to fix that? What should I have said right there instead of pissing? So you got it afterwards. It's easy enough to want to forget about it. But, you know, it's like in athletics or football. You Somebody burns you deep. You think, shit, how did, how did that guy, I got to fix that. How do I fix that? I can't get burned deep like that again. I have to fix that. And it's the same way. And, you know, I was an athlete too when I started. So it. You have to figure out how am I going to fix that next time I come across that. That's great. Uh, well, well, Brad, uh, it's great. We had a great hour. Like I don't know where where to go from here. We had a, you know, it was a it was great talking to you. We had a, got a great conversation going. Like anything you want to add before we before we wrap this up? I wish I had some dates to plug, but I don't have nothing to plug. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know what? I'll get that. I'll get down in your area sometime. If you see it on my schedule, email me, remind me, and uh, we'll make sure we uh, meet, hang out, have lunch. Oh, that that sounds that sounds great. Uh, and I'll make sure to to plug in your dry your your dry bar bar special. Uh, uh, well, you, which you'll see up here. Uh, it's. It's going on YouTube, so this will make much more sense as soon as we wrap this up. Uh, yeah, right up then, right. La- yeah. Right up then, ladies and gentlemen.